Here's the kicker of it all. God has promised them a blessing. In the same way that he's promised you and me a blessing. A blessing that he will hear our pain and see us in our suffering and come to us to comfort him. As he did through the angel of the Lord, Jesus. Jew and Muslim, Jew and Gentile, Whoever you are, wherever you may be, whatever wilderness you're in, or pain you're walking through, or cries of trouble you may lift up. Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? He's coming to you and me to listen, to see, and to comfort. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is good to be here with you today to see familiar faces and faces I haven't seen in a while and brand new faces. My name is Adam, and I am uh, the pastor here at The Point. We are beginning today a new series, and we had a couple different titles we tossed out for this one, and the one I liked the most was called Before He Was. You see, there's a lot of people who look at Jesus and they think, oh, well, the New Testament and the Old Testament, they're separate, like angry God, loving God, right? And they think Jesus is now, all the bad stuff is gone, and now it's just the good parts of God. And so I wanted to do a series before he was, like where is Jesus before he was born? And uh, asking for some graphic ideas from other Christians, we got a whole bunch of people who are like, that's heretical, because you know Jesus always was, right? Yes, we know that, it's just a title. Okay, we'll change it to BC, before Christ, right? Before Jesus came on the scene in the flesh, where was he? Well, in that video it explains this term, the angel of the Lord. If you ever read the Old Testament and you come across the phrase, the angel of the Lord, I want to invite you to stop for a moment and replace that with Jesus. You see, the angel of the Lord, as that video describes, is one who comes in the likeness of man, but with the full glory of God. Is everything that God is and yet is also like a man. And that's distinct from an angel of the Lord. See, angels, that quite literally means a messenger. They're one sent by God to proclaim something. There's lots of angels, but there's only one, the angel of the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament, all kinds of wonderful and even terrifying things happen. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of these wonderful and terrifying moments where Jesus is before he's born. And if you're texting in questions and you want to ask how that all works, that he was before he is, I don't know. 
it's a mystery and I won't be able to answer that question, okay? But somehow Jesus is present from the beginning of all time with God. And the first time this story or this phrase appears of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a remarkable story. The first time this phrase shows up is the one they mentioned there with a woman named Hagar. Now, if you're not familiar with Genesis, if you haven't spent much time in it, let me just catch you up to speed. God creates Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve screw it all up. They're told to do, they can do anything they want except for one thing. And it seems anytime we're told, don't do that thing, it's the one thing we want to do the most, right? And so not being allowed to eat from this tree, they eat from it to become like God themselves, though they were already in God's image and like him in every other way. And they eat from this tree and they become filled with the knowledge of evil. And it breaks them. And God, like he promised, brings death and sorrow and pain. And he actually removes them from this promised garden and kicks them out so that they can't remain for all eternity in that place of brokenness. And he says, I don't want you to eat from the tree of life lest you should always be in this place. And there, even before he kicked them out, he gives this promise, one of your descendants, the descendants of this woman, will rescue you from this evil one who has tempted and deceived and tricked you. Fast forward a little bit and all the world is completely broken and corrupt. Every part of it, the evil is unlike you could imagine today. And so God, he destroys the whole world except for eight people, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And God starts over. And then comes this man named Abraham who was an older man, God says, go to the land I will show you. And he begins to go and God gives a promise. Through your descendants, I will bless all people. The whole world will be blessed because of you. Only one problem, Abraham was old and had no children. How would he have descendants without kids? And this is where Hagar comes into the story. See, his wife was also older and comes up with a perfectly wonderful solution. I'm too old to have kids, but my servant, or as they said, they're my slave, depending on how you translate it, she's young enough, she could have kids. Just go and have children with her and then God will give you this blessing. So Genesis chapter 16, this is where we will be today. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, born him, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. See, in the day, in that culture, there was this concept that for those who were barren, their servants could have children and then they functionally, like adoption, could raise that child as their own and so the servant would be a surrogate mother who would bear this child and then they'd raise him up to bear the family name, the family inheritance, the family culture, everything about that family would now become that servant's child. So this is her idea. It says this, she gave Hagar the Egyptian her servant and gave him to Abraham her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
When Hagar becomes pregnant, she looks upon Sarai and says, what's wrong with you? Anger and bitterness well up within her. Why should you get this promise and these blessings when I'm the one who's pregnant? And Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Now this is where the angel of the Lord appears. Into this dysfunctional and broken family. Into this moment of tension where at Sarai's bequest, Hagar conceives. And then in that moment, Sarai no longer wants her and says, you you need to go. She deals harshly with her, and so Hagar runs. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Jesus finds Hagar by a spring of water. Sound familiar at all? Maybe you recall a story in the New Testament where Jesus is traveling through Samaria where he should not be and he finds a different woman by some water. And he does things people weren't expecting. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Picture this scene for a moment. An Egyptian servant, pregnant, alone, and afraid, dealing with the injustice of being cast out, afraid for what Sarai might do to her, being angry at her bitter, broken situation, And Jesus shows up. What are you doing? Where are you going? How about you just go back and submit? In our culture, we think of submission often as this really domineering and an overpowering thing. When we hear submit, for most of us, we get images of things that are really far from Scripture. But submission throughout Scripture is an act of obedience and love and respect. It's not as one who is beneath or less. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus, it says, submits to his father, the one who is the glory of God in all the fullness, the one who is Yahweh made flesh for us, still chooses to submit. Here he speaks and says, go back and submit. But then he gives this promise. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. This promise of the angel of the Lord is really, really good news. Here's a woman desolate and alone, afraid for her life, unsure of what comes next. Isolated from community and from support, from love. And yet God speaks directly to her, I will bless you. If you know that story in the garden, God speaks to Adam and Eve and he tells them to multiply and fill the earth which if you read in Hebrew is less of a command and more of a promise. My presence with you will surely cause you to multiply. It will cause you to be increased. And here Hagar hears from Jesus, I will multiply your offspring. Very promises there in the beginning, the very promise given to Abraham when God showed up and made his covenant or a promise to Abraham. Now Hagar hears it too. Behold, you are pregnant, shall bear a son. Does that language sound familiar at all? The only place in the New Testament where the angel of the Lord shows up is at the announcement to Mary that she will bear a son. And she shall call his name Jesus. See, when we read scripture, there's a lot of parallels between what's in the old and the new. Because it's not this story and then that story, the loving story and the angry story. This is one story of one God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He shows up to this woman who's hurting, this mother who's scared and alone, and he gives her this great promise. Then it continues in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy, it lies between Kadesh and bread. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let me just tell you, having kids in my 30s and my 20s, and I'm worn out, I couldn't imagine being 86. The story fast forwards. God continues to promise Abraham great, th or Abraham great things. He changes his name to Abraham. He promises that Sarai, though she's old, will still conceive and bear a child. And they, they laugh. How could that be? And yet God is faithful and he does what he says he'll do. So we're going to jump forward to chapter 21. Isaac, this son promised to Sarai, Isaac is born. You can only imagine what happens between Sarai and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is technically the oldest son of Abram. He should receive the full inheritance of the firstborn. And yet God had spoken to Abram, it's not Ishmael I will bless, it is Isaac I will bless. He will be the one through whom this promise comes. He will be the one 
through whom I will bless the whole world. Imagine the tension between half-brothers as they both have been given a promise of being blessed by God, and yet it's different. And so comes this tension. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 21, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be with or be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. When we think of nation, we often think geopolitical boundaries. We think of a nation like the nation of the United States of America or the nation of the United Kingdom, but throughout scripture, a nation is so much more than political boundaries. See, anytime God speaks of making a nation, he's referring to a people who will always be a people of great statue, a people of great power, a people of great blessing. He says to Abraham, do as Sarah asks and know that even still I will make Ishmael great, just like I'm making Isaac great. He continues, and he sends her away and she, she departs and wanders in the wilderness. And then comes verse 15. But before we get to 15, let's just pause for a moment. Anytime you read wilderness throughout scripture, what do you think of of the wilderness? Living here in Tennessee, I think of the wilderness I enjoy, like the Smokies, right? This wilderness is wonderful. This wilderness is great. But wilderness throughout scripture is often used to describe a place of emptiness, a place where God feels distant, a a place where life is harsh and difficult. In fact, they were placed in a garden in the beginning, and when they were kicked out of that garden, God said, the land will be tough for you. You will have to work for it to bear fruit for you. And so wilderness is, throughout scripture, this picture of a difficult and painful and broken life. And here in this wilderness, we find Hagar once more. In this place of pain, this now single mother on her own with a 13-year-old. And that alone is bad enough. But a 13-year-old in the desert? When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Here in this place, of desperation, with nothing left and nowhere to turn, afraid for her life and the life of her son, believing everything that God had promised is now no longer for her, no longer her promise and her blessing. In fact, God had maybe even failed her. She sits down to die and weeps. 
And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? He's there in heaven, crying out to those who are hurting, what troubles you? What troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. The first place that we see the angel of the Lord show up is to a terrified and lonely and hurting mom. And to this mother who's afraid for her very life, God speaks. I have heard your voice. What troubles you? When we want to look, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? What is God doing before Jesus is born? This is what he's doing. He's hearing. He's seeing. And he's comforting. He's hearing the pain of his people. Even though we normally wouldn't think of Hagar as his. You see, as the story progresses further, the promises to Isaac and Ishmael begin to differentiate the people further. And they begin to become two very separate nations. Groups of people who often were at war with one another. In fact, this war continues today because the Jewish people, they believe that they are descendants of Abraham through Isaac. But Muslims around the world believe that they are descendants of Abraham through Ishmael. And so part of the reason there's tension between Jews and Muslims today is in part thousands of years of history of believing God has promised both of them a blessing. But here's the kicker of it all. God has promised them a blessing. In the same way that he's promised you and me a blessing. A blessing that he will hear our pain and see us in our suffering and come to us to comfort him as he did through the angel of the Lord, Jesus. Jew and Muslim, Jew and Gentile, whoever you are, wherever you may be, whatever wilderness you're in or pain you're walking through or cries of trouble you may lift up. Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? He's coming to you and me to listen, to see, and to comfort. So as we read these stories of the Old Testament, we're only going to highlight a couple of the places where the angel of the Lord shows up. But in your own readings, I want to encourage you, Jesus 
the very Jesus who suffered and died for us is the same Jesus who was and is and always will be. And so if you're here today and you're hurting and you're alone and you're afraid and you're saying, God, where are you in my time of need? We have to look no further than to him. For even now he hears you, he sees you, and he wants to comfort you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son even before he was born the angel of the Lord came to comfort, to hear the, the pain and the hurt and the sorrow of your people. For your people are not the Jew or the Gentile or the Muslim. Your people are all people whom you have brought near through the blood of your son. So God, we come before you today with all of our hurt, all of our pain, all of our troubles, and we thank you that you always have been the one who hears and sees and comforts. Bring us today this peace, this comfort. Help us to go out and to love our neighbor as you have loved us, submitting ourselves to one another and giving everything for the sake of those who have not yet heard you speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to collect an offering. And we collect an offering in this place as an opportunity to join Jesus in the work that he's still doing, not in this building, but through us as his people, a nation of people who go out from this place to love and serve and share this hope with others. And so if you would like to be a part of that work that he's doing and you'd like to do so financially, you can give online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button there in the corner. And if that's not something you're prepared to do, that's okay too. If you are somebody who prefers cash or check, you're more than welcome to give in the popcorn buckets in the back corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. All right. Now, this is usually a point where I walk off and we have some announcements, but before I do that, I need your help. If you are in this place and are a mom, uh, whether your kids live at home or have not yet been born, or if you're in this place and you want to be a mom someday, but God has not yet given that to you, uh, Emily's walking around right now. And she wants to give you a little token because moms, we want to bless you today with a little discount on your ice cream on us, all right? So when you stick around for the food trucks that I think are here, I haven't looked out the window yet, but hope they're here. When you stick around for the food trucks, uh, we want to uh, pay for a little bit on us to say, we love you moms, all right? So if that's you and you want uh, a little discount, moms, just flag Emily down. And while you're flagging her down, if you have kids, uh, whether they're with you today or may someday come with you and they're fifth grade or younger, will you pull out your phone? Actually, we'll... Just everybody, will you pull out your phone if you have one right now? All right, it's really simple. On the screen here, we're gonna put a QR code. If you have kids and might someday use Kids Point, not necessarily every week, not necessarily next week, but someday, will you just scan this QR code? With an iPhone, your camera app will do it, and if you have an Android, uh, you have to actually open up a separate app, I guess, because Androids aren't quite as great as iPhones. However, 
If you scan this, you can pre-register your kids for Kids Point, and that will help us best serve them because Kids Point is coming back next week. And if you don't have kids and you're like, this is a waste of time, I asked you to pull your phone out because while I tell you every week to fill out a Connect card, I know, and most of you don't, right? So if you don't have kids but you're willing, take two minutes or a minute and fill out the Connect card at thepointknox.com. And the reason for that is not so that we can just have your information and stalk you like a creeper, though we might do that anyway. No, the reason for filling out the Connect card is so that we can connect with you during the week. We have ways to contact you with information of what's coming. And also, we can begin to build community outside of Sunday morning. Every now and then I get asked the question, Adam, how come we repeat ourselves on Sunday morning and we say the same thing multiple times? It's because I have kids. And I know that if you don't say the same thing multiple times, nobody hears it, right? Uh, And so, if you didn't catch it, stick around today. We're having food trucks and it's going to be fun. And if you have plans with mom, cancel them, just bring her here. Just joking. Uh, Make your plans, but join us if you can. It'll be a lot of fun and really great. That was incredible timing. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) All right. So now it's the part of the service where I get to respond to the best of my ability to the questions you texted in. And we'll see how well you stumped me today. Yeah, there's some good ones. Yikes. Um, Okay, so first off, if God is genderless, why is God always referred to with masculine pronouns? Could God, God, oh man. Good job. Could God just as well be she or even they then be more accurate? That's a great question. Uh, Our current culture is actually really helpful in saying how should we address God? Because in our current culture, we address somebody the way they choose to be identified. And while God is genderless, even though Jesus is a man, God, the the triune God is genderless. Um, With the exception of about 27 examples in scripture, um, every time God talks about himself, he talks in the masculine form. And so God has chosen to be addressed in a masculine manner. And if we believe we should honor what people want to be identified as, even if he's not a man biologically, we should respond to him as father and God and him. Next question. In my early teens, God warned me about a traumatic event that was coming. I had no power to stop it on my own, and when I talked to adults about it, they didn't listen. It did happen, and I've lived with the consequences for 30 years. So why would God warn me about something I could not change? Hmm. I don't know. But I do know this. God throughout all of scripture often warns people what's coming, even knowing it won't change things. And I would guess that the reason he warned you was an attempt to show you his presence when that thing came. When that trauma happened to let you know that he was there beforehand. He knew what would be and he would be there with you through it, and hopefully there can be healing to come after. And and I don't know what that trauma was or that pain is, but I want you to know if God was gracious enough to warn you, even if nobody believed you, God will be gracious enough to hear your pain and bring you comfort and peace still right now. Next question. How does this fit into only having allowance to have sexual relations between husband and wife in the eyes of the Lord? (laughs) Yeah, there's some weird polygamy stuff that happens all throughout the Old Testament. And oftentimes, uh, in kind of a rebuttal to the idea of 
um, monogamous relationships. People are like, well, the Old Testament had polygamy. The Old Testament had a lot of stuff we shouldn't want to emulate. Like, there's a ton of things they did that weren't very good and healthy. So how does this fit? Um, What we see throughout scripture is that man and woman, husband and wife, are supposed to be a picture of God and his people. That's why monogamy is the way it's supposed to be, because we only have one God, and we shouldn't have multiple gods that we're chasing after. And yet, as soon as Adam and Eve eat of that fruit, what we see from that point forward through the rest of Scripture is just like the relationship with God is broken, their relationship with one another is broken. And that's why in many cases, especially in the Old Testament, they had multiple spouses and mistresses. And if you read it carefully, you'll notice every single time something bad happens. So I don't encourage you to follow that route because it usually brings a lot of pain. Speaking of that, I actually missed, there was a question on top of that one. Um, It says, not to be rude by any means, but this kind of sounds like an abusive situation for Hagar, honestly. Why send her back to, to be an abused servant only with the promise that she'll have to continue sleeping with her master and being shamed by his wife? Um, thank you. You did it. Uh, <laughs> this is tricky. Uh, our culture today is 100% different than it was then. And so reading what happened then can be really hard as we read it through our lens of today. And so I want to begin by saying, if you're in an abusive relationship and it's unhealthy and not safe, talk to somebody. We will listen and we will help you. Uh, There are churches that say you have to stay there. If you are in danger, don't stay there, all right? Second, going to the story, why is it God would send her back to continue sleeping with him? I don't actually know how much continued sleeping with happened because it doesn't tell us how much that happened later. Uh, I do know that servants, whether servants or slaves, slaves in scripture were entirely different than we as Americans think of slavery because American slavery looked nothing like it did in scripture. And so we have a tainted view anytime we hear the word slave by something that is not what was ever permissible there. In scripture, your servant or your slave, if they became your mistress, if you heard it said she became his wife, She was to be treated as an equal on the same page and the same regard as Sarai. And we don't see much more what happens after that. Uh, What we do see is after 13 years, Abraham sends her off and she's freed to not go back to him. Um, But I don't know. And so my, my long answer to that tough question is, why is she sent back? I'm not sure. But even in sending her back, God protected her and cared for her and promised great things to her. And if you're in that place today, please come talk to us. We'll help you get out of it. Last question. Um, Says, thank you, Point, for a safe place to land when the days are long and hard. Usually I am unmovable in my faith in the gospel of love, but every now and again I doubt it all. Pastor, Do you ever doubt God and Jesus? Yes. Um, I think doubt is a normal part of being broken people. And doubt does not mean you don't believe. It means you have a lot of questions and things that are unanswered and sometimes pain that you don't know what to do with. Uh, Do I doubt Jesus and God? Well, depends. Do I doubt that he's good? No, I know he's good. I don't always feel it. And sometimes I 
I feel like he's not good, but I know he is. Do I doubt his presence? Well, sometimes in my sinfulness, I'm like, could you really love somebody like me? Yeah, I absolutely wonder that from time to time. Do I doubt his calling on my life? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, I am not equipped to do this job you've asked me to do. Uh, Being a husband is hard enough, and then you told me to be a dad. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you've given me this church to lead. I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, I'm filled with doubt, and that's okay. Um, You can have a lot of questions that are unanswered and a lot of doubt of things that are uncertain and still profess and believe, God, you're good, even when I don't feel it, miracle or not, whatever happens, God, you're good. Those are all the questions for today. That was plenty. Thank you. (laughs) As always, you can text in your questions anytime, whether online or during the week. Um, Sometimes we'll respond to them Wednesday night with the point leftovers. Other times we'll respond to them on Sunday morning and do my best to give a response. If you would like to talk further about any of these things, I'll be sticking around for food. I'll be available and I'll gladly meet with you later in the week if you'd prefer. So before you go and indulge in lots of delicious food, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.